Hello, thank you for downloading this episode of the Final Third Podcast. You know, it's a great day. The sun is shining, and the U.S. men's national team begins their final stretch of World Cup qualifying. Not on the day that gets released, but on Thursday. And today, I, by myself, no jacket this time, will be talking about what the USA needs to do to qualify for the World Cup, the the lineups that they need to put out for Mexico and Panama, especially uh, the tactics that they need to employ, and the question marks around the roster, around player personnel, and around uh, the tactical approach for each of these games that they need to answer in order to confidently say that they can qualify for the World Cup. All this and more coming up right now. Enjoy the show. Hello, welcome back to the Final Third podcast. It is not Thursday, it is actually Wednesday, but this is, you know, when the deep dive episode would come out where we go into a topic of our choosing from the soccer world and really dissect and analyze it. There are two things that are different today on this Wednesday morning or Thursday morning, whenever you're listening to this. And that is this episode, of course, did come out on Wednesday. And that's just because Jack and I will usually record this on Thursday or so, or no, not Thursday, Wednesday night and release it on Thursday. But we are going to the Minneapolis City watch party as they take on Des Moines Menace in the U.S. Open Cup. So we won't be able to record. So we're recording this on Tuesday. And uh, the second thing that's different is that Shaq is actually not here School is always, always busy, but especially in this midterm season. So Jack couldn't record on Wednesday, can't really record on Tuesdays because that's when he has the most amount of work. So I'm going to be taking the reins, going to lose my mind on this podcast as we talk about probably the most stressful time for any U.S. soccer fan, which is the very last window of World Cup qualifying. The U.S. men's national team was not at the last World Cup, and that puts a lot of things into context going into these last three games of FIFA World Cup qualification. The USA, as it currently stands, if you haven't been following, uh, they stand in a a pretty good spot right now, second of eight in uh, CONCACAF FIFA World Cup qualification. So just to give a little background on this before we get into the nitty-gritty uh, especially for those of you who don't know, USA qualifies through the World Cup through CONCAF, the North American Confederation. If they get into the top three of eight teams, they automatically qualify. If they have fourth place, they have to go to an inter-confederation playoff. And right now, they're in second place, tied uh, with third place at Mexico with 21 points. Not going to catch up to Canada, who are at 25 points, so a four-point lead. And Panama, who's in the fourth place spot, that playoff spot, is only four points behind. So a, a lot can change, a lot can stay the same, and we're going to talk about it today. My name is AJ Tabura. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Final Third Podcast, a fan of, obviously, the U.S. national teams, but also Minnesota United and West Ham United. Jack would usually join me. He's a fan of the U.S. national team, French national teams, Atlanta, Chelsea, uh, Minnesota United, to name just a few of the teams that we support. And yeah, I, I've been a fan of the U.S. national team for as long as I can remember. And other than pretty much directly after Cuba, Trinidad and Tobago, where we shockingly lost to fail to make the 2018 World Cup, I don't remember a time where it's been more, I wouldn't say stressful, just like 
angsty. You know, it, it, it's a, it's a very angsty time to be a U.S. soccer fan right now. And a lot of that is because a lot of things can go wrong in this final three games where we'll play Mexico away, which we have never won at. Panama away with Panama at home, I should say, which is a winnable game. And Costa Rica away, which is also a place that we have never won in World Cup qualifying, I should say. And that puts a lot of pressure on a U.S. team, which is relatively young, a lot of relatively young stars from Europe. And also a team that, while a lot of players have not been holdovers, did fail to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. So basically, let's give a little bit of context on where things stand as a whole, even outside of the U.S. here in uh, the, the, the CONCAF World Cup qualifying. I already talked about the standings. But let's talk about the qualification scenarios. We, we, we are currently 11 games in of 14, so we have this, those three games left. Every single team, national team, has three more games to play. Jamaica and Honduras are already eliminated. They are dead weight. They'll try to play spoiler, maybe uh, keep Panama or Costa Rica from uh, qualifying. El Salvador, the best they can do is that fourth place confederation playoff spot very much a long ways away i i'd very much consider them out considering that they're eight points away from fourth place and they would require a perfect perfect window and a, a terrible window from panama and costa rica to even think about qualifying so the two main teams that are challenging the united states for a spot are panama which i already mentioned are in fourth place with 17 points and costa rica with uh, 16 points Keep in mind, like I said, USA play them both. So if USA somehow loses every single match this window, it puts us at a very, very bad spot. However, that may not be the, the case. And also, in order to qualify, Costa Rica and Panama will have to have near perfect, uh, a near-perfect window, to say the least. Costa Rica, they'll play Canada on the 24th. And the... Uh, 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 regarding the themes of this window, one of them has to be Canada potentially helping us out because Costa Rica play Canada uh, on the 24th. Canada can do a lot of good for us by uh, taking three points away from Costa Rica. That would be huge. Costa Rica, of course, plays us at, at the last game of the window, March 30th, uh, and we could take points off and really keep them from qualifying. Uh, but also Costa Rica... Uh, play El Salvador, who is going to be motivated to at least try to make that inter-confederation playoff spot. So Costa Rica has a very, very difficult schedule. To assume that they'd get seven or nine points out of this window may be far-fetched, but you can never be too safe. Panama, the other challenger for the United States spot in the top three, will play Canada. Again, Canada has a lot of uh, opportunity to help us on the 30th of March for their last game. They uh, play Honduras, last place Honduras. I don't have a lot of faith in Honduras, but you know if they can take points away from Panama, that would be huge. Uh, but Panama also will play the United States, like I said before, as their second game in Orlando here in the USA. So there's a lot of opportunity for things to go wrong, but a lot of opportunity for things to go right because you know a qualification is in our hands. We have all the ability to control our destiny going into this window and it all requires the united states 
getting the right amount of points. So how many points does the USA need to get in order to qualify? Well, theoretically, the USA can actually qualify in this first game against Mexico at Mexico City if they beat Mexico, which again has never happened before, but you know, I'm not going to rule that out. Uh, but if I, if I you know, am believing this correctly, Costa Rica will have to draw or lose to Canada which is, again, you know, very, very possible. But the hard thing is Panama is going to have to lose to Honduras, last place Honduras, who, let's be honest, is probably not going to take any points from Panama in all, in all reality. So that's likely not going to happen. So realistically, what is the United States' path towards qualification? Well, four points and we're in, pretty much. That is the goal of a possible nine points, we need to get at minimum four. So the way that a lot of fans, and I would guess the coaches, Burhalter, are going to be looking at it, is win at home against Panama. That is the absolute barren. You have to do that. Even if you don't get four points, winning against Panama will at the very least build a sizable gap between fifth place, fourth place, and wherever the United States lands. It's the very, very bare minimum. And then get a point away from home against Mexico and Costa Rica. Keep in mind, the United States has only drawn three times in Mexico City, in Mexico, in a World Cup qualifying. It's very, very difficult to win there in general, but the United States will have to find a way either in Mexico or Costa Rica, preferably, as many fans will say, in Mexico, because nobody wants to have all that pressure going into that final game as we saw when we failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. So there's a lot of narratives going around in terms of point totals. United States needs to get at least four points to automatically qualify in those top three places. Canada, you know, uh, they are guaranteed at least the inter-confederation playoffs. So maybe they'll drop some points, hopefully not to Costa Rica or Panama. But at the very least, they still have something to play for, even if it's not a lot. So that's the general context in which the United States has to work with. And so let's talk about the roster that they're taking to these three games. A lot of injuries have kept people out. So let's go position group by position group and talk about the larger narratives in terms of how this window is going to be played and how the players will be selected. Let's start with the goalkeepers. We always start with the goalkeepers. Gotta start with the goalkeepers. First up is probably our number one choice this window, as he is usually our number one choice, and that is Zach Steffen of Manchester City. Our second stringer, who has been playing a good amount of games for his club, Nottingham Forest of the Championship. I'm talking about Ethan Horvath. Uh, fans will remember him as being the hero of the Nations League last summer. And third is old dependable Sean Johnson of New York City FC. Uh... There's not a lot of narratives going around these goalkeepers other than Matt Turner, who is another uh, candidate for being a number one goalkeeper. He is out uh, due to an injury to, I believe, his foot. He plays for New England Revolution. Just signed for Arsenal, which I think is pretty cool. But he is out, so I think the de facto number one has to be Zach Steffen, who played pretty well for Manchester City in the FA Cup this past weekend. Although, if it came down to it and... 
we have to play our second goalkeeper. Ethan Horvath had an amazing game uh, for Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup against Liverpool, and he has strung a lot of great, great results, some clean sheets in the championship. So I would not be surprised at all to see him maybe get the nod, or at the very least, if if it came down to it, be dependent on as you know, a good goalkeeper. So not a lot of general narratives there, things that we should be concerned about. Defenders are another, complete the other ball game. Uh, so I'll just go over the, the defenders. I'll, I'll go over the, who I think is the starters. And I think the starters here write themselves. You have DeAndre Yedlin, who plays for Inner Miami, but he has the most experience uh, in this crop of defenders with the national team. So I'll go with him. He has 71 caps. I mean, is he the greatest right back in the world? No, but that has to count for something at the very least because your other option is Reggie Cannon, which is a good player, but I don't know. Like, it's, I guess you can really pick either one. I, I wouldn't necessarily complain, but for right now, I'll go for my starting right back having the most amount of experience. Uh, but that, that might be the biggest point of contention, but I really think that the other three spots write themselves into the starting lineup. Of course, for center back, I'm going with Ro- Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson. They have been a beast of a pairing in the Gold Cup and in the last window. I think that is probably our best center back pairing, period, right now, based on chemistry and based on technical ability. Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson, great, great clearing, uh, great defensive efforts sometimes have a, have a knack for goal in terms of headers and set pieces. We saw that with Zimmerman and Robinson. Very good. And Anthony Robinson, who has been playing really well for Fulham uh, in the championship and also is just a very good player on his day. I think the last couple windows, you know, he's been, he's been inconsistent before, but the last couple windows, I feel like he's really come into his own. In terms of backups uh, for fullbacks, we had Serginho Dest in before, who people know plays for Barcelona is a great great player hamstring injury in in a a couple games ago has sidelined him and we brought in George Bello of Armenia Bielfeld who I think is a fine backup we also have a backup in uh, a right back in Reggie Cannon who I previously mentioned backups for uh, center backs are going to be Aaron Long of New York Red Bulls James Sands of Rangers and Eric Palmer Brown of Troyes from France the big narrative here is that we are missing a lot of players who might be better than the players that we called in. I'm not going to complain about the players I think should start because even if DeAndre Yedlin would not be starting, and I very much don't think he'd be starting if Sergio Dest is here, he's still a backup that I would probably put high up on my list of backup right backs. However, we're still missing the likes of Dest. Chris Richards, who uh, plays for Hoffenheim right now, who is injured, great center back, great for depth at the very least. Uh, Joe Scal- Scali, who uh, plays for Borussia Mönchengladbach also uh, in Germany, who has played very, very well, is still young, has not had a lot of experience in the U.S. men's national team, but still very good. A lot of people think Burhalter doesn't rate him. Maybe, maybe so. I think a lot of this is just Burhalter has a, a, pl- a plan and he doesn't really fit that, didn't have enough game time in the past couple of windows to feel like he is a a coherent part of the system. Really, that's Burhalter's fault. I really think that he should have been called up a little bit earlier instead of the November window 
more like October window or September window when he really came out. Uh, so that is a healthy scratch that Burhalter made, which, listen, I, I like George Bellow, but I think Joe Scally at least should have been given a chance. George Bellow does know the system pretty well. He has played in it at the Gold Cup, so who knows? Uh, but the biggest one, and I think is a little bit crazy, is John Brooks. John Brooks, I know his club form isn't the best. It isn't hasn't been his best season uh, for Wolfsburg, and that is basically the rationale that uh, Greg Berhalter, head coach, has given to not including him. But I think when you look at it, he is still undoubtedly our best player. The only reason why I consider him, I can consider not calling him in at all, because sure, you call him in and he doesn't start, whatever. The only reason why I would, would see that as being a logical move is if he's causing problems in the locker room. That's the only reason. I know there's been some rumblings of that, but if that's not the case and he and Berhalter can work it out, I'd much rather take him over Aaron Long, who, while still a very good center back, has barely played in the in the last couple of years due to injury. And James Sands, I can understand being there. Eric Parmbrown, sure. CCV is right there. Cameron Carter-Vickers plays for Celtic, plays, I think, at a, at a better level than Eric Palmer-Brown right now. I'd much rather see him in there, even though, no no offense to the EPB, thinks a great center back. But I take John Brooks over Long, over Sands, or Palmer-Brown. It really makes no sense to me, the fact that John Brooks got has not been a part of camp in such a long time. Yes, we're still winning, but, you know, we need the depth, especially because we don't have the likes of Chris Richards, who would be a great backup center back, a center back that we had last window and saw game time. And so I think that is one of the bigger narratives here is the fact that we have two healthy scratches, John Brooks and Joe Scally. How do we deal with that? I think, like I said, that starting lineup has to be the answer there. All right, it's enough about defenders. Let's talk about the midfielders, the central midfielders. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Berhalter likes to employ a 4-3-3. So we're looking at, in this uh, general midfield group, uh, one defensive midfielder and two eights, or uh, you know, more advanced midfielders who will do a lot more ball winning and playing the ball forward, running with the ball. Uh, so we have Kellen Acosta, Christian Roldan, both of MLS teams, Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa, Gianluca Busio, and Luca Della Torre. You'll notice that there is a significant name missing, and that is obviously Weston McKenney of Juve of Italy. And that comes at kind of a, kind of a hard time, especially because we need uh, his, his ball-playing ability, his ability to progress with the ball, uh, as well as just his his calmness on the ball and off the ball. That's something that we are going to be missing. And the big narrative with the midfielders is who's going to fill in for him. Because while Luca Della Torre, Busa, Busio, Musa are all good, there is no one-to-one -one comparison here. McKenny is in a league of his own. And so who's going to re replace him? In my mind, I think the starters at a full-strength uh, 11 is Tyler Adams as a defensive midfielder, Yunus Musa as one of the eights, probably more advanced eight. And honestly, you're probably going to be looking at any one of the four as a potential uh, 
back up number eight to McKenney. Luca Del Torre played very, very well, especially in that game that Jack and I went to in Minneapolis against Honduras. Really silky with the ball, loved his running. Uh, Busio has a mad pass in him and, and, and can play as a, as a as a an eight. Uh, Christian Roldan, I think, is best served at the late game, uh, trying to run players off. But Kellen Acosta, not only is he a, a good backup number six, as we've seen before, but he's also a capable number eight. But I'm going to be looking more towards Busio and especially Luca Della Torre as being the answers to Weston McKenney being gone. That is the big question mark uh, with the midfield group and something that you everyone should be looking out towards who is going to be those two number eights. I'm guessing Musa will see a significant run out, but who is going to be that next McKenney? In the forward slash wingers, uh, again, there's a major injury here. Brandon Aronson uh, injured his MCL this past weekend and won't be there. But depth is another big narrative in this entire match, or in this entire window. I already mentioned how we have a good amount of players that can fill in, and nowhere is that more true than the wingers. Of course, we have Captain America himself, still only 23. Wow, I just looked at his age. Christian Pulisic of Chelsea FC is going to be starting most of the important games in this window. But you also have Jordan Morris and Paul Ariola, both of MLS Team Seattle and Dallas, respectively. Tim Weah of Lille, Giovanni Reyna as well. And there's a, a lot of good depth here. Not only do you have Christian Pulisic, who on the left is going to write himself in the starting lineup 10 out of 10 times, but you have two very capable options. Timothy Weah, who has an amazing ability to run behind the, the, the defense and potentially you know, finish things off. You also have Gio Reyna, who we've seen has the the attacking chops the 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 goal scoring chops he has four goals in only nine appearances for the national team a pretty good record if i do say so myself he's coming back from injury after being laid off for quite a while from Borussia Dortmund due to recurring injuries i don't see him starting all three matches even two matches because of uh, injury concern and fitness concern but he's going to be play a significant role either off the bench or in some games yes starting but even with those three players that's good depth you still have the likes of Jordan Morris and Paul Ariel say what you want about them say that you want to call another player these are two at the very least capable players that can fill in while a limited role under uh, under Burhalter, still a role that can be important Jordan Morris may be less so, but I think that Paul Ariola has not only a role in this uh, window, but in, in an important role given his work rate and given his ability to just run opponents to the ground before getting subbed off uh, for an, a more technical player. So I, I think, I wouldn't even say it's a narrative like who Brendan Aronson's going to be replaced by. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Berhalter actually calls in a player to replace him, hopefully Jordi Mihailovic of uh, CF Montreal. But even the five players I mentioned right there, that's good depth for two winger spots. I really think Christian Pulisic, Timothy Reyna, Gio Reyna, or sorry, Timothy Weah, Gio Reyna, I think those are three capable starters. Paul Ariola also definitely has a place here. The question is, that I think gets raised here is 
does Gio Reyna start in the wing, or is he that uh, Weston McKenney? Well, they don't really play the same type of st- style, but uh, is he going to be a winger, or is he going to play centrally here? If I really had to guess, if I was the head coach and I had to guess on where I put these players, I'd put Gio Reyna on the wing, just because even though I think Paul Ariola and Jordan Morris are good, I'd much rather see a more technical player out on the wing rather than on the inside with uh, number eights because I think Luca Del Torre and Busio can do a perfect job. You know, after Tim Timo Weah and Christian Pulisic, the level of actually technical skill definitely drops off. And so having an option on the wing is really, really important for this team. And I think that while he is a very creative force, you may be able to get that from Luca Del Torre or Busio. You, but the, the fact that you take him away from the wing means that you're taking away a lot of talent from that a position group. If we can find a good winger, I would definitely slot him in centrally. I wouldn't be opposed to even now uh, slotting him in centrally. But I think one of the question marks, of course, is going to be where do you play Reyna? And for my money, I would like to see him more on the wing just because I don't trust Paul Ariel to be a fully technical player you know, getting a final ball in, whether it's a cross, uh, a, a corner, or even uh, actually finishing the ball. We've seen that Paul Ariola isn't the best at that, that a lot of his best moments comes from the fact that he's able to annoy defenses and start, start movements, start chances, but not be that finishing player. He's a little bit incomplete there, and that's why I like to see Gio Reyna uh, in, on the wing. Uh, for for strikers, this is where I'm scared the most, and this is probably one of the bigger narratives because you have Ricardo Pepe of FC Augsburg, moved there from FC Dallas, Jordan Pifok of Young Boys, Jesus Ferreira, Speak of the Devil, from FC Dallas. These three players, I think, offer three different things and th- three different styles of play. I see Ricardo Pepe as being more of a, he 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 finds he he makes those runs he, he finds good positions and he finishes Jordan Pifok I think is better in the air and right now has the hotter hand or hotter foot scoring a lot a lot of goals uh, in for young boys in the Swiss league 15 goals in the league already so I think he has that finishing touch and I think he is the more clinical finisher right now that's the kind of game that you get from him and Jesus Ferreira who plays more of a false nine role I can see being deployed in the late game, if you want your striker to sit back a little bit, but also in games where you have, you're going against a team with a lower block, where you need to have a better connection with the midfield from your number nine in order to start and facilitate attacks. So the question marks here are, who is going to be the starter? And really, I think the answer here is, there's not going to be a starter. It's going to be whatever player fits the mold for a game better. And so whoever that might be. Ricardo Pepe is currently learning through struggling right now. PFOC has the hot foot, but Jesus Ferrer, I think, gives us the most tactical flexibility. I I think it really comes down to which players fit for which role. And so those are the general narratives of uh, of each position group and the question marks that come with them and come with those styles of play. Obviously, the biggest question mark is going to be how does Berhalter put this team out.
And here is where the crux of this discussion lies. This is where people have been talking about all week. How do we line up against Mexico away and Panama at home? Nobody's really concerned about Costa Rica right now because that is pretty much 100% dependent on the results of the first two games. So the question is, who do you play? How do you play against Mexico away and Panama at home? And right now, the narrative is pretty strongly, do you play the A team or do you play the B team? Do you play the B team because you want to rest your starters for a more winnable and important game against Panama? Basically conceding that maybe the best you'll do away from Mexico is as best as you've ever done, which is a draw. And that you should put out your B team in order to hopefully get a draw, but also not over fatigue your starters because they need to get a result in uh, Orlando against Panama. That is the consensus ideas for the B team. The ideas for the, playing your A team is you should always try to get the mo- maximum amount of points because if we win against Mexico, that puts us in a really good spot to you know, maybe get a draw against Panama, hopefully get a win, but six points will basically you know, put us probably in the top two. So a lot of people who want to put out the A team, want to put out the likes of Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, uh, uh, Timo Weah, all these like bona fide starters out in Mexico, they want to get maybe even the three points, win for the first time in the Azteca to put pressure off of us later on in the window. So it's two very different ways of looking at it, whether you want results right away or maybe you want results later on at risk of not getting a result in that first game. And really the way that I see it and the way that the USA is going to qualify if they do is looking at this not as A team versus B team, but again, playing the best players for a particular team. So let's look at Panama and Mexico and how I think they should line up, how I think, what I think the the USA needs to do in order to qualify. So with Mexico, the defense, I think, should stay static throughout these games. Maybe switch out Yedlin and Cannon, but it's going to be Stefan in goal, Robinson and Robinson as left back and center back, Zimmerman as center back, Yedlin or Cannon as right back. And what I, I think, I, I think, like I said before, there's a lot of question marks with the midfield, right? How do you replace McKenney? Uh, how do you play uh, Reyna? You know, th- the, the way that the USA is going to qualify for the World Cup is by strongly answering those questions. And I think, like I said before, the replacement for McKenney is going to be one of those very capable midfielders. However, when we talk about playing the best player for a particular opponent, I think you have to go Adams in the six because you need to have you, you just need to have Adams there. Like without Adams, it becomes a very very tough game to win. All like even with him, it's gonna be tough. But without him, without that that midfield control, if you seed the the midfield to Mexico at home, it's gonna get really ugly, and your ch- your chances of finding a goal is very slim when you can't even control and find the midfield. So we need Adams there, Musa, because I, I I like having a high technical skill. And I think him and Adams have the technical skill, have the ability to drive the ball forward. But I also want, instead of McKenney, because he's not here, Acosta, Kellen Costa. Not only does he have veteran Azteca experience, but he's also 
really good at mind games, as we've seen from the Nations League and all, all these other finals. And he's really good at set pieces, which Mexico has struggled with before. So if we want a player that can play defensively, can get under the skin of Mexican players, which is important when you're in such a hostile uh, experience, experience like uh, the Estadio Azteca, and you want a player that does something that uh, Mexico can't really defend against, which is set pieces, I think the obvious answer here is Kellen Acosta at the 8. A lot of people want the sexy pick like Luca Del Torre and Busio. I think their time will come, but I think it really comes down to having a mix of technical skill and Azteca experience, which Yedlin, I believe, also has, uh, but especially Acosta uh, and some of the forwards I'm going to pick. Pulisic and and uh, Ariola are my two winger picks. Pulisic, because it's obvious, you still want to get a result here, and I think he is the best player for the job because he's the best player for us in almost every single context. Ariola might be a, a, a confusing mark here, but I think his experience and his work rate, you know, uh, Mexico has either a lot of green players, meaning that uh, they're still relatively new or not uh, world-class yet, not hit their prime yet. They have those younger players, but also they have a lot of older players, which means that Areola can either take advantage of their inexperience or take advantage of, of slower legs, which means he's able to run, have verticality, I'm sorry, <laughs> run past the, the defense and at the very least, after 70 minutes of running around, those defenders are going to be tired and Areola would have done his job. You sub in Reina or Weya, and the, the technical skill exposes the defenders even more. Uh, so I think he starts because you also don't want to you know, start Reina and Weya just for the, the heck of it and have them be overly fatigued, especially Reina. So I think there's a little bit of uh, minutes bouncing there, too. Pifok, I'll have start as number nine because of his aerial presence on set pieces and his finishing. Again with the set pieces, again with the heading. Pifok, I like, like Acosta to Pifok as as a set piece goal just makes sense to me. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with that. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that's how I, I'd start against Mexico. There are a lot of things to consider as well that will dictate how the U.S. responds to the next couple of games and how or if they'll qualify. And that is the fact that Adams is on a yellow card. And if he gets another yellow card, he will be suspended for one game. So the question is, d does Adams get the tactical yellow here in the Mexico game so he can play in the Mexico game, not play against Panama, which hopefully will still be winnable even without him. And so he can for sure be back for that final game against Costa Rica. Maybe, maybe not. I have no answer for this because it's very hard. To, like, it hurts my brain to even think about. So I'm just going to leave it up to the listeners. Let me know if you'd like to see Adams maybe get that last yellow card or if you'd like to see Adams play in Mexico at all or if you'd like to save him for, the, save him for those last two games. Obviously, subs are so important, so I'd like to see throughout this entire window, especially a lot of the subs being used, the thing, the single thing that will qualify the U.S. for the World Cup if we haven't already by that third game against Costa Rica, is the fact that we have subs. We have the ability to rotate. Teams, especially Central American teams, don't really have that luxury. They have a set 11 that is quite literally probably the best in their country in any given circumstance. 
and then their quality kind of drops off a cliff when you get to the bench or to the reserve players. We don't really have that. We have a lot of really talented players, even if they are injured, uh, they're still good. And the players that we have called in in their stead are also really, really good. So if we can rely on that, make sure that we balance minutes and use our subs to the best ability, getting, you know, getting tired legs from our opponents and putting in even better players. Always really cool. Raynum Busio, I'd love to see on for creativity. Roldan, way on Ferreira to run at tired legs or maybe defenders, Cannon, Bello, and Sans to kill the game off. Mexico, I'm not going to say is a, a, a dead rubber game. I'm not going to say we, need, we can afford to lose it. But what we can't do, what we can't afford, I should say, is to overplay some of our starters. That's why I don't want Wea or Reyna or Pepe or, you know, whoever to play too much. In fact, I, I would like to see Adams and Pulisic subbed out if the game is either too far for us to come back from or we're winning because we need them. We need them throughout the window and we can't afford to injure them or uh, make them overly fatigued in any way. Now against Panama, I know it's at home. But I think if you can afford it, you play your best players because this is the, the game at the very least because you can you can get a loss or a tie from either of uh, Mexico or, Pan or Costa Rica. Or no, sorry. No, yeah, Costa Rica. You want to get a point for away, away from home. But realistically, if we're going for that four-point target, that can come from either Costa Rica or Mexico. But you need to win against Panama. Start your best. Uh, the the def defense, I think, stays the same. I'd like to see Adams, Musa, and because I'd like to see Rain on the wing, I'd like to see Luca Del Torre in his, his place at that number eight spot. At forward line, Christian Pulisic. I'm going with, with either Timo uh, Wea or Giovanni Reina as uh, the wingers on the right side. Either one, I think, is good. If you want more technical, you go with Reina, which might be better for uh, this match. And for starting striker, man, I can go for Pifak, but I think I'll go with Jesus Ferreira, which might sound crazy, but I think he'll play well against a low block, which Panama will definitely do away from home. And he'll be able to link with the midfield and get involved. And so it's not like he gets lost on an island like Ricardo Pepe sometimes does. He'll actually, you know, lead balls in for Pulisic or Wea to, to find and possibly finish, which I think is really, really important. And so that those are the two ways that I'll line up against Mexico and Panama. It's not about A team versus B team. It's about doing what's best for the team, which means picking the players that you think will get you a positive result in both games, while at the same time not sacrificing too much energy, too much fatigue, and risking the entire window as a whole. So I think the way that the USA wins out and finds a way into the top three of eight in this octagonal is by looking at the deciders here. What are the deciders? I've already talked about a few, but just to recap some and give out some more, it's how do you deal with the defensive question marks? How do you deal with not having Brooks and Scally? Do you find a way to have good defensive depth if those starting four fall out? Right, you don't have Brooks or Scully to uh, lean back on. So, can you lean back on Reggie Cannon and Aaron Long, Eric Palmer Brown? If you can do that, 
the USA will be in a better spot. Then you look at Pulisic. Pulisic is a huge game changer, and having him healthy, having him in form from Chelsea, we I'm not going to say we live and die by him, but when we do good, he usually is doing good as well. He will be someone that you should all look out for, obviously. We, we can look at uh, who's going to replace McKennie. Like I said before, Acosta, Reina, Busio, uh, Luca Del Torre are all possible options for that midfield spot. So I think the way that the U.S. qualifies for uh, Qatar World Cup is by having a good replacement for Weston McKennie, having someone that can fill in and replicate his production. Uh, obviously, one of the deciders is going to be Burholder's game plan. You really can't find a way around that. I already talked about how he should line up. Uh, and it, it really comes down to if he does something like that, what his game plan is in terms of player usage. I really think he's going to keep the same tactics. I I don't think he's the type of, of manager just to throw something uh, crazy and asymmetrical at the wall just to see if it'll stick. That doesn't really seem like his uh, style. So I, I really think it'll come down to his player personnel and how he assigns the roles to those individual players. I already gave my piece on it, so I'm not going to talk too much about that. But I think one of the more underrated things that will define if the U.S. can qualify for the World Cup is what Canada can do for us. They play Costa Rica, they play Panama, two of the teams that are going to be gunning for that top three spot that the United States currently resides in. And so... You know, if Canada can get points off of Panama and Costa Rica, maybe even win it, because let's face it, we're not catching Canada. And there's no point in debating whether or not we're better than Canada or not. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. What matters is that we qualify for the World Cup. If Canada gets first place for the first time World Cup qualifying, good for them. If it, if it means that we get going to the World Cup with them, that's all I care about. And so for them to take points off, really really helps us because even though it is in our control and a lot of things i talk about are in our control our game plan is in our control uh the players that we choose to replace injured players is in our control uh the way that christian pulisic is supported and plays is in some way in berhalter's control you know three very key parts of our game but there's also a lot of aspects that are outside of her control uh, that we'll need to pray go in our favor, including Canada against Panama and Costa Rica. Uh, and hopefully Costa Rica can also drop points and Panama can drop points. Listen, a, a lot of things have to go wrong. Costa Rica and Panama need to have almost perfect windows, including beating the USA in order to sniff that top three. I don't think that's going to happen, but at the same time, you can't leave things up to chances. And this is one of those things where you just have to pray that things come our way while at the same time we get stuff done on our front. I think I think the thing that which how do I even say this? Like I I, I what I want to say here is that I think we will qualify. I think having Reina back is a huge game changer as well. That I didn't even mention, but I I I I think he has the ability to change games, especially if he is a sub. I also think we're going to qualify because Costa Rica probably isn't going to get those nine points. Panama probably isn't going to sweep both Canada and us. I say always knocking on wood. 
but you still have very talented players. You still have very capable goalkeepers and defenders. We have a culture in this team that is built around facing adversity, and it's worked against Mexico in World Cup qualifying, Mexico against the Nations League, and Mexico in the Gold Cup. And even if we're not going against Mexico in all three games, if we can carry that mentality that Berhalter has instilled, that is almost just as big as having the right amount of players, is having the right tactics and having the right belief that we can beat the demons of Cuba and qualify for the 2022 World Cup. Is it going to be easy? No. All the, the different variables I mentioned should scare you in some way because there's a lot of things that need to be figured out before kickoff on Thursday and also a lot of things that need to go in our favor or things that we need to control to be in our favor. So that is the U.S. Men's National Team World Cup qualifying preview, what they need to do, the ways that I think that they should line up, and the question marks that surround this entire window. I love the U.S. Men's National Team. It means a lot to me. Even though I have drifted away from the team, especially as of recently, because the fans might not be the most logical or the most kind, I don't care about how passionate you are. I don't care if you are toxic, even. If you're just a, a mean, bad person, that's where I draw the line. And I know it's going to be... I can't even say it. I, I know it's going to be bad, regardless if we win or lose. But if we fail to qualify, I might not use Twitter. Not because I'm sad, because I know things happen. It's just a sport. But I know it's going to get very, very heated and... Honestly, I, I can see a lot of, of bad things being said if we fail to qualify. So, for, so self, for selfish reasons and for, you know, me being a fan, I hope, I hope, I hope that we qualify for the 2022 World Cup. And I'll leave it there, everybody. If you want to, you know, find out more of our takes and watch me live tweet through this game at Final Third Show on Twitter, definitely go check us out there. Uh, finalthirdshow.com is where you can find our one-stop shop for all of the things podcast related I'll see you guys next Monday with Jack for a, a news and predictions episode and I want to say same time same place next week for a deep dive episode but our schedules are looking very busy and we might be changing that in the near future it might not be a deep dive episode anymore it might be well, something else. I don't know. If, if you listen to this far, I think you deserve to know a little bit of what's going on in the background. So definitely keep an eye out for that. I don't know. Well, everybody, thank you for listening to that. And a uh, new episode coming out on Monday. And I'll see you there. See you. <laughs>